DH Muse. Cultural Heritage Informatics. Digital History and Museums. With Professor Sean Graham, HIST-4916A, Carleton University. When I was a kid, I lived in the hinterland of Ottawa, way up in the bush. And one year when I was in elementary school, I was selected to go to Ottawa to hear Marc Garneau speak at the Science and Technology Museum. It, it was very exciting because he had just returned from his first mission on the space shuttle. Oh, I was so pumped. And after the talk, uh, well, I got lost. I got separated from the group. I was completely overwhelmed and utterly bewildered. There was just so much stuff. They found me, apparently, in the gallery devoted to computers. Seems like I've been a nerd for a very, very long time. So welcome. Welcome to DH Muse. Welcome to the winter 2021 semester. This course is my attempt to understand the landscape of cultural heritage informatics, especially here in Ottawa. I'm glad you've decided to join me in this attempt. I want to understand, how do museums and other organizations in the GLAM sector, galleries, libraries, archives, museums, keep track of their collections? To what purpose? What might happen if we release these collections into the wild over the internet? Or what if we mash these collections together? What could we see? How might it matter? To whom could it be dangerous? Now, my background is not in museums. Y you might say it's museum adjacent. I'm an archaeologist by training, and of course there is a natural connection, a natural affinity between archaeologists and museum curators. That belongs in a museum! So do you! But I'm also the official digital humanities guy, the official digital historian, the digital archaeologist in our department. So I've been here for 10 years now, and in this time I've been trying to learn how all of these different fields intersect especially with regard to material culture, the things of history. That is, I think, I'm working maybe in cultural heritage informatics. You know, I hadn't even heard that term until around six or seven years ago when I saw Ethan Wattrell, an archaeologist at Michigan State University, using it to describe a training program he had developed for his graduate students. Cultural heritage informatics. I like it. It seems to me that the intersection of digital history, material culture, museums, galleries, libraries, archives, might be found within the broader field of cultural heritage informatics. Cultural heritage materials require careful description and organization to permit effective curation, preservation, management, and research, community engagement, ethical engagement, you may have heard the term bioinformatics before, and that field defines itself as 
the interdisciplinary field that studies and pursues the effective use of biomedical data, information, and knowledge for scientific inquiry, problem-solving, and decision-making motivated by efforts to improve human health. In which case, we could define CHI similarly as an interdisciplinary field studying and pursuing the effective use of cultural heritage data, information, and knowledge for humanistic or scientific inquiry, problem-solving, and decision-making motivated by efforts to improve human welfare. I add the emphasis there to make an important point. The decisions we make about information are necessarily ethical decisions. Computers operate by replicating the decisions we make at enormous speed and scale and intersections. And so the consequences can be unintended and unforeseen. And so we have to begin from an ethical perspective that considers from the outset, who will this harm? By now, you've had a chance to look over this course website. The entire course is designed to be asynchronous. I don't know about you, but I could live happily without ever being in another Zoom meeting ever, ever again. But just because this is asynchronous, well, it doesn't mean that we don't have a timetable to keep, a schedule to observe. Each week, there are things that need to get done in order for us to achieve our goals. By the end of this course, I want you to have built a digital computational notebook that engages with information from one of the galleries, libraries, archives, or museums in Ottawa. Ideally, in Ottawa. Now, your notebook might perform some sort of analysis. It might be some kind of visualization. It could be a creative mashup, a reimagining. It could be something entirely else, something else entirely. We take inspiration here from the work of Australian digital historian Tim Sherritt, who has built what he calls the Glam Workbench, working with materials from Australia and New Zealand. We're going to put together a version of this from these notebooks that you will make. And thanks to Carlton's Students as Partners program, I've also been supported in building this course by Chantal Brousseau, who is doing her history degree with a computer science major. She's also your classmate and another resource person who can help troubleshoot the tech side of things. And I want to want to spend a moment here. I want to make it absolutely clear to you that you do not need to have some techie ability to start with, right? You don't need to be a self-described tech person to be successful in this course. I know that everyone comes with different levels of digital literacy, different comfort levels, different prior experiences. And that's totally fine. My concern and how the assessment and the grading is built is around the process, whether the thing works or not. It's about process. And it's about reflecting on that process. And it's about being open and honest about what has worked and what hasn't. And that you think through the why of that. I can't emphasize enough in tech work, we learn far more from when things break than from things that work the first time. I want you to break things. I want you to get lost in the material. We'll find you again. It's going to be awesome.
Trust me. So in terms of how the course is organized, the first third of this course consists of a tune-up of your digital skills. And you will also, during this first third, select materials to explore in more detail, literature to explore, project to, projects to explore, plotting your own adventure through the CHI field. You'll then prepare detailed annotations on this material to share with everybody else. In the second third of the course, we will look at those materials and we will respond to your annotations. We will annotate out there in the wild. Basically, we're going to have a distributed conversation about this literature. No presentations, distributed, collaborative reading and discussion leading. And this will set us up for the final third of the course where, using our digital skills and grounding the work in the literature we've just explored, you will create a computational notebook. You will also write the documentation that situates that notebook in the wider field so that someone might understand the value, utility, and possibilities that your notebook allows. And then, at the end of the course, all of these I will bundle up and turn into a website, the Ottawa Glam Workbench, that I will then release to the world and make a big fuss about. It'll be awesome. Now, after you've finished listening to this podcast episode, please read through the syllabus carefully. It's critically important that you do this, since this class is probably very unlike any others you've taken. Ask me questions right away about things you don't understand or aren't clear. Join the class Discord server, the chat space, and say hello. Read and start following the instructions for week one. You'll need to sort out a GitHub account. Um, and by the way, you don't have to use your real name on any public-facing work you do here. You can use a pseudonym. Just let me know what your pseudonym is, and you don't have to tell me why you want to use a pseudonym. It's just enough that that's what you want to do. I understand that being on the web isn't safe for everybody in the same ways. So if there's any kind of security concern that you have about doing public-facing work on the web, we can totally change it up, okay? I understand that you know, me as a white guy on the internet, I can do things that might not be safe for other people. And I don't want to expose you to danger. So again, pseudonyms are okay. Not doing public facing work, also okay. But if you have any concern about it, we, we'll have to have a little conversation. You just got to talk to me. You don't have to underline where the concern comes from. Okay. The thing is, you know, you're going to do great. But when life intervenes, and it will, just let me know that something's going on. I don't need the details. I don't need a doctor's note. I trust you. Okay? I trust you. Let me know. We'll come up with alternatives for you to be successful. There's nothing we can't roll with in this class if you're willing to trust me. One last thing. From time to time, there will be uh, more episodes in this podcast for you to listen to. I will have invited a number of professionals to reflect on their work and share that reflection with us so that you gain perspective from those in the field. I think that's kind of exciting. And today we're going to finish off by hearing from Erica Vandenbosch, 
who is manager of information management services for Ingenium Corporation. Ingenium? Ingenium? I don't know how to say it. It's the Crown Corporation that runs the Science and Technology Museum, the Aviation Museum, and the Food and Agricultural Museum. So, welcome aboard. Come, get lost, get bewildered in CHI and the glam sector with me. Hello, my name is Erica Vandenbosch and I work for Ingenium, Canada's Museums of Science and Innovation. We're located right here in Ottawa, Ontario, and we run three national museums. We have Canada Agriculture and Food Museum, Canada Aviation and Space Museum, and Canada Science and Technology Museum. What do I do? I'm the manager of information management services. And if you don't know what information management means, don't worry. I will do my best to tell you what I do, and I'll try and keep it short and sweet. Basically, I'm responsible for the overall management of information and corporate memory at Ingenium. That covers a huge volume and variety of information. There's documentation related to the collection, like acquisition proposals, exhibition development plans, and programming materials. And there's also documentation generated by our internal services, such as finance and human resources. So it's a really broad portfolio. But of course, I don't personally handle each piece of information. We have 200 plus employees, from curators to conservation, exhibition to programming, facilities to security. Each of these groups creates, receives, and uses information to carry out their work. My job is to try to impose controls over how the corporation manages its information. And these controls need to respect any and all requirements that we are subject to. Uh, these could be identified in legislation, regulations, policies, and countless other sources. So we take into account rules like copyright, information privacy, information security, information disposition, and that's just to name a few areas, but the list goes on and on. So that's me and that's what I do. The next prompt I'm going to address is uh, to describe a moment where the digital aspect changed how I do my job. Well, I actually graduated from Carleton University with my undergrad uh, Bachelor of Arts in English. I graduated in 2015. Um, so some of you may be able to relate to this if you're a little bit younger. Basically, when I entered the workforce, digital had already made its grand entrance. So I certainly haven't experienced a digital transformation in the same way some of my more experienced colleagues have. And it's not that there haven't been changes. I mean, technologies are constantly evolving. And we're often undertaking projects that involve changes to our tech. But I would say I learned digital first. Um, and as I work, I often find myself looking back at legacy paper versions of a process, sometimes handling the legacy paper documents that were generated. So I do bounce between worlds, um, but I'm definitely more of a digital first. Uh, and what's clear to me is that digital has so much potential. It's really inspiring. Um, we can reach so many more people. We can share so much more information and we can give so much more control to our users and we can let them decide how they want to interact and use the materials that we have. 
Um, so, I mean, I guess I don't want to suggest that digital is an easy solution. There's certainly lots of work to do and there are certainly challenges, but we can really use digital tools to make cultural heritage more accessible and more inclusive. And I think that's kind of my big takeaway. Uh, even though it's normal to feel comfortable with the more traditional ways of working, um, sometimes it's good to push ourselves out of our comfort zones um, when we know it's for a good cause. Speaking of digital, I'll move to the next point. What's the greatest challenge that I'm currently facing with the digital aspect of my work? Well, I, I think I struggled to pinpoint one single challenge. To be honest, there are endless challenges, overlapping challenges, and even contradictory challenges where solving one issue seems to somehow aggravate another one. So I'll just highlight one challenge. And it's the level of tech skills uh, that varies from person to person. And that's both in the workforce with, with uh, the people I work with, and it's also with the public that we serve. You know, there are people who are incredibly tech savvy, but there are also people who willingly admit that they're not tech friendly in the slightest even. Um, and, and those groups of people often want completely different things from their tech, you know, tech savvy people want a lot of sophisticated functionality. Um, and the less tech savvy people just want it to be super simple. And of course, you know, that's a binary and it's, it's not as simple as that. There's a lot of people in between. But um, either way, it's really challenging to have our products, our services, and our solutions accommodate the varying levels of technical skills across uh, these people. So that's, I think, the single greatest challenge I'd say right now. And my advice for that, because I don't want to just leave a challenge up in the air, would be that from your own perspective, the best thing you can do is to just to ensure that you yourself have the highest tech skills you can so that you can understand the tech. It's really to your advantage to have that technical know-how and the more advanced your tech skills are, um, it's gonna help you when you're trying to resolve problems with the tech. It's also gonna help you understand what options are feasible when you're developing new solutions um, and you're working under resource restraints. And I think it'll even help when you're trying to develop new ideas. So that's, that's the challenge and how I would suggest trying to work with it. Next up, where do I see cultural heritage informatics in the future? To be honest, before I can jump ahead to the future, there's still so much groundwork left to do. Uh, a lot of GLAMs still need to do work to make their information accessible in machine-readable formats, um, even just internally and to make sure it's comprehensive and consistent and clean. You know, a lot of us have pockets of content that are available and ready to go, um, but there's a lot of content waiting on the sidelines to be processed and to get prepared. So that would give us a great foundation if we could get that to kind of catch up with us. And then after that, I hope in the future, cultural heritage informatics is more open and I mean, I understand it can only be open when it's possible and when it's appropriate to release that content. So, you know, not, not complete openness, but conscious openness, deliberate openness. Um, and then I also hope that GLAMs continue to collaborate widely. I hope we continue to engage specific groups and communities, especially those that have been underrepresented 
And I hope we continue to provide opportunities for greater public engagement. I mean, personally, I love seeing crowdsourcing initiatives where the public can explore and contribute to collections. Um, I love Colab, which is a Library and Archives Canada feature on their website. So if you haven't already, check that out. So that's where I, I at least hope that we're going in the future. And last but not least, what advice might I give to a student who is interested in the intersection of museums and cultural heritage informatics? I'll give three pieces of advice. Number one, just look for opportunities to gain experience and be really open about what those may be. Uh, whether that means applying to a volunteer organization, whether that's applying to join an advisory council, whether that's applying for a part-time job, it's an opportunity to gain knowledge, skills, and networks that can serve you and your professional development. Advice number two would be to reflect on other skills that you may bring to the table um, and think creatively about ways that you can kind of market them. So maybe you have graphic design skills or creative writing skills. Maybe you're proficient in another language. Uh, my example is I'm a pretty good typer, which is a really boring skill, but it's actually given me opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise, where I've been asked to take notes at conferences or meetings, and I wouldn't have been asked to attend them, except people deliberately asked me because they thought, oh, you could take notes, that would be great. And it, I got exposure to these meetings really early in my career, I guess, um, because of this skill set that I had. So be, be creative about what skills you bring to the table and how they can help move you along. Um, and last but not least is just to be flexible and adaptable. Again, kind of underscoring this whole idea of just be really open to opportunities. You know, you don't have to have to have your first job in a museum to start working on skills that will serve you in the glam arena. Uh, yeah, don't discount any opportunities and just make the most of everything that comes your way. So thank you so much for listening today. Uh, have a great day. Mm -hmm.